Welcome to Psyched for Business, helping business leaders understand and apply cutting-edge business psychology principles in the workplace. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Psyched for Business. I'm your host, Richard Anderson, and today, as always, we're diving into the world of psychology and business. In today's episode, I'm joined by Beck McKeown, a chartered occupational psychologist who specializes in cybersecurity. In this episode, we unravel the psychology behind cyber threats, incident response, and the essential skills needed to navigate in this dynamic field. Discover how cyber criminals exploit cognitive biases, the art of manipulation, and why vulnerability isn't just about traits, but rather how our brains process information. I really enjoyed this discussion with Beck. I hope you do too, and thanks again for listening. Beck McKeown, welcome to Psych for Business. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Uh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for asking me. Uh, yeah, doing great. Thank you very much. Really looking forward to having a chat with you about Brilliant. this whole me, me, cyber thing. Me too. And, and I have to admit, I have been extra excited about this one because genuinely, and I mean this when I say it, cybersecurity and psychology are two really interesting topics that I have a, a broad interest in, certainly no deep knowledge around. So I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in. So I know that... Um, you're a, you're a chartered psychologist. You've gone through all the BPS accreditation. You've been doing that for a little while now, and you've got a specific emphasis on the whole world of cybersecurity. I'm really interested, Beck, and I know that the listeners will be as well. How did you get into that world? <laughs> Completely by accident. <laughs> right. And I think there's uh, any psychologist that works in cybersecurity and defence, you probably find they come across it by accident. Um, not quite a happy accident, but uh, yeah. it's certainly one planned thing. Um, I started off doing a degree in a, a psychology degree with the Open University because something to do while I had a small child. Um, okay. Never make a career of it. Um, then found myself doing a master's degree in applied psychology at Cranfield University. Nice. And the plan was to go off and do organisational change and culture type things because that's where my interests were. Um, and I ended up not doing that and staying at the university and working in aviation because aircraft cabin safety was sort of like, well, that's interesting. Didn't know it was a thing. Um, so I did a little bit of that. And then I ended up working a lot with the Ministry of Defence on a contract. Interesting. Of research, yeah, chasing tanks around prairies in Canada. Nice. And that led me then to working at a defence academy in Shrivenham, which is uh, UK military base and I got into working on the cyber masters program there okay Brilliant. so that's when I thought oh okay I'm a psychologist what am I doing in cyber security <laughs> yeah. gadgets and techie stuff and uh, yeah so it's a bit of a, a meandering path no it's, it's really interesting and what a time though to be involved in cyber security I guess specifically from a, a psychology perspective um I've told you previously, but for the listeners, I'm I'm in the process, or my company's in the process of going through the ISO 27001 accreditation, which you'll be very familiar uh, with, Beck, and maybe we can go into that in a little more detail, but it's all about information and cybersecurity, and there are things in there that I had no clue about, and I understand the importance of, of psychology in that, but let's not assume maybe that the listeners know everything about um, cybersecurity, and maybe let's start with a bit of a a broad overview of the term. So what do we mean, Beck, by cybersecurity? What does it mean and why is it important? Yeah. Um, 
I went onto the website of the National Cyber Security Centre. So that's the UK's place to go if you want any information on cyber security. And they define it as how individuals and organisations reduce the risk of a cyber attack. Okay. So broadly speaking, stop people attacking you. Well, that's fine. However, what does that actually mean? And I think today it's, it's become so important. We all do our banking online. We shop online. We have emails. We have social media. And there's a thing called IoT devices, Internet of Things. Yeah, so yeah. You ring your bell and all of this, you know, your hive stuff that you have mm. in your house. And I think that there's probably an underappreciated risk that having all of these gadgets has for us. You kind of know that when you've got your own laptop that you need some sort of security product in it, so you buy one and you press it to have a cleanup every now yeah. and again. It's probably about the limit. Yeah. Um, that was my limit. I know that bad things happen, but that was it, really. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a, a sort of a bit of an overview about it. But why is it so important? And there's been some really interesting research done on categorising cyber harms. Okay. Um, and they categorise into five different things. You've got a physical and digital harm. So physical harm, um, think about if there is a cyber attack that looks and um, prevents people from moving goods around the country. You imagine if that all the petrol tankers couldn't move to yeah. deliver petrol because of a cyber attack. We'd all be stuffed, really. We would. So that's quite yeah, that's yeah. Digital harm, um, things called a denial of service attack. That means that they overwhelm a website and you can't use it so if you want to go and do your banking and they're being subjected to an attack you can't access your accounts okay so that type of thing economic um you can have your money stolen yeah, yeah. <laughs> as simple as yeah. that um reputational harm is a massive big one in the cyber security industry um i've recently had letters from two different pension companies to say that my details have been compromised okay wow and uh, you know so my out on the dark web for any old criminal to yeah, get their hand yeah. and apply for credit in my name or whatever. Um, and they've had to deal with that. So obviously their reputation as an organisation is massively damaged mm -hmm. by that. Um, psychological harm. Well, I've been made to feel quite anxious about this because I feel quite vulnerable now. Yeah. Um, I didn't know until they told me and they've given us all a um, Experian credit thing, you know, that you get a free year's membership. Yes. So you yeah, can yeah. Happens, but that has made me feel a little bit anxious. And then you've got a sort of social and societal harm. And you think about we all hear about cyber attacks, you know, with Russia and Ukraine and things like that. And it always seems like it's something going on somewhere else. But I think the NHS was subject to a cyber attack a few years back. Yeah. Well, that caused us harm across the whole of our society. Yeah. So to me, I think when you start realizing that that's the sort of impact you start to appreciate that maybe there's a little bit more to this cybersecurity thing than something that's just talked about. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And it's, I mean, that was one of the things that I, that I was going to ask you, but you've pretty much answered that this, this affects everybody, doesn't it? I mean, um, I think there was, I'd maybe had a preconception, a misconception as it turns out, that it would be big tech firms that are gathering lots of data and maybe government agencies and these types of organisations that would be at risk most for cyber attacks. But really... It could be any type of business. That's pretty much what we're saying here, isn't it? 
or any type of business or even as individuals and i well, think individuals, that's yeah. yeah you know we sort of forget about that um, there's generally two types of ta attacks. There's targeted attacks, which is the ones you're probably talking about there, where they'll go after a big multinational or a government. And so that's that. Then there's untargeted attacks, which is these phishing things. And I'm sure that you've received links. I know I certainly have as to, oh, here's a here's the unpaid invoice that you asked for. Yeah. And, you think, oh, and you click on it, then you've got malware in your system and it's probably tracking you. It might be tracking your bank details, that sort of thing. Um, you've got things that are called, it's called waterholing, and you get an email from allegedly from your bank that says you need to go in and change something. And then when you click yeah. on the web, website, looks real. You have to be quite good at spotting, you know, checking different things to check if it is real or not. Um, so there's all of that sort of thing that goes on. So it can be individuals, it can be companies. Yeah. Um, and you think with ransomware attacking a big company to get their details, and you hold that, you know, if you don't pay me X amount of millions yeah. of pounds, I'm going to let this go. But then there's the the untargeted thing is all of that things where they're just attacking so many people, millions of people across the globe at once. And it's just a sheer volume of people that certain percentage will always click on those links. Yeah, you know, I can, I can, I'd love to get into that in a little more detail. Interesting what you're talking about there with the the phishing emails, the phishing with a PH, of course, and different phishing attacks. And I remember maybe <clears throat> five years ago when I'd got a, a phishing email come through and I had to wire somebody a million pounds, like I had a million pounds in the first place, of course, but I had to wire somebody a million pounds or whatever would happen. And it was really easy to spot. But Beck, let's be honest, these are getting better now. They're, they're getting better and better. And even this weekend, uh, or it was Monday morning, I had a colleague say to me, Rich, did you send me an email over the weekend asking me to do something? I said, no, not at all. And the colleague, in, in, it, it said Richard Anderson on the email, founder at Evolve Assess, and obviously it didn't have my email address and it probably didn't didn't look anywhere. But that's that's some of the things that we need to, to educate people around, isn't it? Because yeah. they, they're, they're getting much, much better. Yeah, um, it's long, long gone are the days of some African king who's got some money that if you... That's it, yeah, yeah. ...out quid, you know, we, we were wise to that one. Um, and a recently popular one has been within organisations that somebody will get an email from the managing director or the founder, you know, like yourself, and saying, um, can you release these funds for me? So if you're in the finance department and you're MD at... Ask yep. to release some funds. The chances are you might do it. Absolutely. That type of thing. And the other thing to think about with that is that they're starting to use social engineering now as well. And okay. I find that obviously psychology utterly fascinating. Yeah. So when are people at their most vulnerable? When I say vulnerable, I don't mean that necessarily in you know, the true meaning of the word. But what are you doing on a Friday afternoon at work when it's a long bank holiday or you you know the Christmas holidays are coming up? You're finishing off, you want to get out early, your mind's yep. already left the office and onto your Christmas shopping or whatever it is you do. Yeah, yeah. So you find that sort of Friday of a bank holiday, that's when there's more likely to, something to happen because they know people have lowered their guard because of the time of business yeah. and all of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, of so course. Very much started to become part of it now. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. there's obviously a, a, a few different ways of... of of looking at um, susceptibility, I guess would be the the, the word to um, a cyber attack, whether that's an individual, whether it's a business, whether it's an individual within a business, presumably. Um, I know that there's a there's a couple of different components that that you look at, Beck. I guess one is 
um, how we how we maybe prevent a cyber attack from occurring within a business and presumably there's tips and tricks and things that we can do um, within that. And I guess the, the second component is if a cyber attack or a cyber risk has occurred, then how do we respond and how do we react in that in that situation? Yeah. Um, but if we look to maybe dissect those those two things, so and I, I made a few assumptions there, Beck, but 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 I'm guessing that um, might it be the way that we behave or the, or our kind of personality, our psychological makeup that makes us more vulnerable or more susceptible to to clicking on a phishing email or. I'm kind of thinking out loud here. What what do you find typically in in organisations? I think it's more really not necessarily about personality traits and all of that sort of thing. Because okay, a, a lot of cybersecurity people say, well, you know, is there a cyber? Yeah, you know, what's the risk of somebody? Can we get them to take a test so we can know what their risk is? And I think that attributing somebody as a risk based on their personality characteristics is there's a whole mound of stuff around that that's just um, quite wrong. Okay. It's more about understanding how the brain works because yeah. it's a limited capacity information processor. So it's okay. all sorts of things. It's cognitive biases and heuristics, which your audience will know what I'm talking about. Basically, shortcuts that the brain takes. So it doesn't notice certain things that's going on. If you're being very busy, you'll do something more quickly and you won't take as much notice. If it's something you're familiar with, you won't necessarily look at the detail. So, for example, if you're driving through your local village or town, you mm -hmm. look at the road signs. They've always been there. Yeah. You just ignore it. You don't need to know they're there anymore. Yeah. When you go somewhere new, you're more likely to notice them because you're looking at them for cues of where to go and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So it's all about understanding how that works and then how you can use those things to sort of slip in when people are unaware and that's why I said when I mean vulnerable, that's probably what I mean rather than vulnerable is they're just busy doing something else. Um, okay. But then you've got the influence side to it, sort of persuasion techniques. So what language do they use when they're sending these emails? Because people will, if it's urgent and they perceive it to be a problem that needs sorting, they're more likely to just jump in and sort it rather than think carefully. So I think one of the the things that we see quite often in terms of guarding against this. If somebody's pushing you to do something quickly, that in itself is a cue that you need to perhaps think a little bit more carefully about what's going on. Yeah, so yeah. It's sort of how to manipulate people, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is about being very much being aware. And, and again, that's a misconception that I have because I, I probably bought into the whole idea of risk. In, in, in truth, I just assumed that would be the case that some of us are maybe more risk prone than others but as you say there's probably a whole other conversation yeah, around, around that side of things that, around that yeah i mean yeah it's, i mean there's a thing called insider risk so, okay and this is again i think is of interest to psychologists when you're looking at the culture of an organization hmm. you've got a lot of people there that are very unhappy they're not you know inside a threat is people doing things on purpose so it could well be that they've, you know, I mean, you might have a developer who's developed some code and left a back door open knowing that it could be easily abused because they're about to leave because the company's treated them badly. You know, yeah. it's all sorts of things that go on. So there's the insider threat thing. But most of it is really about people making mistakes. And we all make mistakes because we do. Nature, so. Yeah. And it's about, is it about preventing mistakes is it about how we deal with the mistakes how we learn from those yeah definitely i think there's um very much been in cyber security a thing where sort of the person is the weakest link yeah yeah you know, it's always that it, 
the machinery will stop attacks. It's always the people that let them in. But then you think about that is that how do people feel about that? You are the weakest link. You're hopeless. Well, you know, it's not my job. I'm not IT. Mm. You know, so there's all of that, that sort of thing going on as well, because um, people might be the weak link. But if they're a weak link, it's because they don't understand. They don't know. Yeah. And there's a lot of assumptions that everybody knows that cybersecurity is not just the IT department. Well, I didn't know that until I started working in it. And yeah. I will be honest, when I've done my um, mandatory training in organisations that I worked in, Health and safety, manual handling, cybersecurity. What am I doing when I'm doing that mandatory training? Oh, I've had another nagging email from my manager. I've got loads of stuff to do. I'm not really interested in this. I'm going to get through it as quickly as I can, tick the boxes, get a pass mark, move on, completely forget everything that I've learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our session. You know, yeah. I think that, that that's sort of part of it as well. It, it, it is. And I guess while we're on that, that topic of, um, learning i guess so, so so one of the just to, to, to kind of go back to what i said right at the beginning so the iso 27001 certification that we're going through at the minute i, I guess it's the and correct me back where i'm i'm wrong here but it's a, a kind of industry standard kind of recognition for adhering to to the correct regulations rules around things like information security of which obviously cyber security kind of falls under that and we're a small business back i mean we've got seven staff um but we've wanted to do this for a long time because many of the clients who we work with, they're bigger organizations, they um, they take these things very, very seriously, as, as of course we all should. And as part of te- either tender processes or procurement processes, I had to fill in reams of documentation, all that pertain to this standard. And then it got to the point where I was like, okay, well, we'll just go through it. So one of the things that I'm trying to do with the team is to change the culture and kind of educate people across the entire team and make sure that people are taking this seriously rather than tick box exercise. But one of the things that um, I struggle with a little bit, so in one of the packs that we've got is a, um, a PowerPoint slide deck where you just walk through and explain it to people. But I know that that's not going to go in. You know, if, I, if I'm just stood there talking through a PowerPoint slide deck. So what's your stance on the education piece and I guess the change and the, the, you know, the cultural change. I've got a small business, you work with lots of much bigger organisations, but I would imagine that's quite a challenge. It's a, it's very much a challenge and it's very much acknowledged within the industry that recognition, that awareness training doesn't work. Yeah. Um, there is no direct link between awareness and changing behaviour. It's moderated by several, yeah, lots of different things. I think it's the theory of planned behaviour. And reasoned action so for the cyclists okay. out there will hopefully <laughs> um, but what it is is basically is that just because you're aware of something doesn't mean it's going to change your behavior you've got to care about it and yeah. you make somebody care about it in amongst all of the other things that they have to care about mm. that is the massive problem um one of the things that we say is that your average slide deck probably isn't going to cut it um, no. for me, it's about making it a bit more personal and it's, it is a lot easier for somebody like yourself there's seven of you you know these yeah. people well um, and they're probably quite invested in the business in a way that you're not when you're working for a yeah, multi-thousands yes, yeah, yeah. um, for me it's it's about thinking about like the internet of things thing I talked about a little bit earlier when you start to realize mm-hmm. that it can hit you at home I think some of the good training that I've seen is when it's like, how do you explain to my elderly parents so they don't 
yeah you know fall victim to one of these things so that sort of made me take a little bit more notice because it's something I care about is my parents welfare um so that was one thing people like to have gamification so they want you know they want badges for completing levels they want a leaderboard and all of that sort of thing so that works for other people and I think there's also the thing about having training that's relevant to you because when I worked at the university I had to do manual handling training I didn't manually handle anything heavier than a book you know (laughs) <laughs> it was just a complete little waste of Tick box exercise exactly yeah yeah so what position in the company does somebody have what level of knowledge do they need to have and don't overwhelm them don't just give everybody yeah. everything yeah, yeah. because that's the quickest way to lose an audience yes um and more recently i was working for immersive labs and they have a crisis simulator and we were starting to look at using that so people who are i don't know working in finance or on reception or in the warehouse, so wouldn't necessarily be involved in anything cyber, would actually yeah. go and do one of these crisis simulators and start to realise, you know, if, you, if you're there and you're suddenly responsible, so you've, you've had this cyber attack, you've got your customers complaining, you've got your IT department and wanting to shut everything down. Yeah. You've got the managing director saying, no, don't shut everything down. We've got our reputation, our customers still need them. Mm. Then you've got some tweets going out on Twitter so you've started to get in, you know, um, incoming calls from national press and things like yeah. that. When you put people into that position and they start to see a slightly different side to it, they take a whole lot more notice. Now, it's yeah. not realistic for them. They're never going to have to make a decision about how to deal with you know, PR and all of that sort of thing. But I think that it just it grabs attention in such a way and makes you think about things that that's going to sit better with you. And from doing that exercise, you then might take a little bit more notice of the bog standard awareness thing because you've had this. I mean, we, they're, they're great fun to do. It takes about an hour, but yeah, it, yeah, the conversations that go on in the room, and you know, it's not, it's a safe space. You know, you're not really under any threat, but it just it surfaces all sorts of things. So there's yeah. lots of different ways of doing it, and I think it's being aware of. You can't make people be interested in everything. So no, you can't. You need to give them a basic level of that. Yeah, yeah, because that's the, the yeah the, the the biggest challenge. But that's that, that's really really interesting stuff, and it's um, definitely something that I need to consider as well. Because even even with Seven Staff, although you've said yeah, it'll be a lot easier doing it with Seven than a big organisation. There are things within those seven people that I could cover that aren't going to be relevant to each one of those seven people. I need yeah. to keep it interesting. I think that's the that's the key there. Um, so, Beck, one of the, the, I guess, the expressions or, or topics that um, we hear about very often within the whole world of um, cybersecurity is um, incident response or incident response management. I know that you do a lot of work in that particular area. Um, I, I guess we're going we're gonna to assume it means how you respond to a, a cyber incident, but I'd, I'd be keen for you to go into a little more detail on that. Um, what, what, what kind of things do you see in organisations when there is an incident and um, how do people typically go about responding to those incidents? Yeah, um, I've worked mostly with enterprise organisations, so they're large. They tend to have um, really big ones have dedicated cyber response teams. Yeah. And you'll be pleased to know there is an ISO for crisis management response. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not doing <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, so what you find is, is, there, is um, there is a lot of guidance on how to 
spot the attack, what to do when it comes in. Um, it's called a playbook. So basically, okay. what do you do when you realise somebody comes up to you and says, hey, there's something going on in our network. We need to just check that it is actually something going on because you can't have a you know an, an almighty response to something that's nothing. So yeah. that sort of initial early stages of that, of identifying what's going on, and then it's sort of trying to work out the impact it's going to have, and then that's when it gets escalated up to a major response level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is a playbook about who needs to be involved, and what you tend to find is is that you have a crisis response team. It's either that's what they do, or you have people from within the organisation who form a team when it's necessary. Okay. So you'd have people from um, the IT department, the legal department, the HR department, uh, marketing and PR. Yeah. Because they've all got a part to play. Um, that's great to a certain extent because when something happens, you know what you're going to do and you've rehearsed it, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. Um, but then what that doesn't take into account, and this is the sort of work that I've been doing, is that people's individual reactions to it. Yeah, of course. You know, um, the adrenaline starts flowing because you yeah. suddenly realise something bad's happening within the organisation, yeah. reputational damage, all of that stuff I talked about earlier. So then what happens then is, well, when adrenaline's flowing, the rational thinking goes down as the adrenaline goes up. So then you start to have what's called cognitive narrowing. So your brain is now focusing on the immediate threat. It's not necessarily taking in all of the information that you need to understand exactly what's going on. You're going to have knee-jerk reactions that aren't thought through. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where it can massively go wrong, where you can deny something's happening and then the media find out that it's happened and then you look bad because you lied in the first place. Yeah, yeah. It's all sort of chaos ensues, basically. Yes. And the research that I did uh, when I was at Cranfield University was on what sort of skills do you need to deal with that? Um, it's a thing called a VUCA environment. It's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And, and that's the environment when there's been a, when you're under threat. Yeah, and okay. I got that from military research that I interesting. Yeah, but it translates so well into cybersecurity, which is why yeah, I yeah. down that path. Nice, um, because you don't know what's happening. It's all very happening very quickly. You have to make decisions with high con- high stakes consequences based on not very much information. So it's either incomplete, you can't be sure of it, you don't know if you're going to you know, make the right decision. Um, wicked problems, I don't know if you've yeah. crossed that, but that's a wicked problem, basically, because yeah. whatever you do in one area is going to have a negative impact on another. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And this sort of, there's a thing called cognitive agility, which is a set of thinking skills that help you stop, take a breath, and start to be creative in your thinking about do, are we sure this is where this information is coming from? Do we know what we're going to do? Are we making the right decision? So, so, so that's that, that's the education piece around the cognitive agility, that yeah. despite the fact that the adrenaline's flowing, yeah. the fight-or-flight response, you're catastrophizing, and it's about taking a step back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then sort of you know, testing your thinking. Because yeah. sort of the automatic reaction for, for the, I'm, I'm saying for the majority of people, but especially if reputational damage is on the line, it's going to be, what, what you know, it's going to be that fight-or-flight response, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and it, fight, flight, or freeze. Some people just fight, fight, freeze. Yeah, 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 freeze. What do I do? Yeah. Um, or they'll, you know, jump into doing something they think is best without thinking it through. So it's yeah, yeah. how to counter that. 
But the other thing that you find that I find interesting is is that when you see these crisis management teams in action, it's about relationships because you've got lots of different people from lots of different parts of the organisation yeah. that don't necessarily work together and they've all got different priorities. Yes. So those in charge of the system want to shut it down because as soon as that system shut down, you can manage things. Mm-hmm. And like I say, somebody from the operation side or the business side is not going to want it shut down because of a bank maybe still yeah. wants customers to be able to access their funds, carry out transactions. Um, a big bank might be responsible for salaries of thousands of millions of people. You know, what's mm-hmm. going to happen if they don't get paid on time? Yeah. Um, and then, like I say, you've got the PR people, you've got HR saying, well, actually, we can't blame, you know, the junior down in accounts because they pressed the wrong button. So there's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff going on. But because each of those people have a different priority, they don't necessarily understand how that fits in and they see the big picture. Right. So you tend to get a lot of friction. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, so you've got friction because of that. Then you've got the friction because some people just don't get on. Um and then you've got people who are, some people are very happy with making decisions in uncertainty. Other people won't move until they've collected more information. That in itself can cause friction in the decision making yeah. and mean that nothing happens because you're too busy arguing yeah. about who's right, who wants what and how to move mm. forward. So there's a whole bunch of relationship and team stuff going on in there as well. And that to yeah. me is what makes it all so fascinating really is how yeah. on earth do you deal with all of that? Yeah. I was just I was just about to ask because I can imagine that that somebody there who needs much more information to gather before they're happy to make a decision than then somebody who's a little bit more gung ho for one of a better expression that just wants to get it done. Yeah. That's going to cause tension, going to cause friction. So, um, do do you do, either yourself, Beck, or the, the organisations that you work with for these types of scenarios, big incidents? Um, do you, do you have like a um, like a rehearsal, or I can't think of the word that it would be to to see how the dynamic of the different individuals and the different teams would would work? So it's to, to see where the where the issues are or whatever. Is that is that something that yeah. you often do? Um, they have a lot of people have what's called a tabletop exercise, which is exactly that right. rehearsal from it. Yeah. Um, great things to do because it's very involved everybody who needs to be involved is involved but they're very they're massively resource intensive so they probably only do them once a year if that yeah um that's a problem because it's very much focused on the process i'm not seeing a huge amount of people focus on the when we do an after action review like military people do what else what was supposed to happen what actually happened and why Okay. And it either becomes very much a blame game, or you didn't do your bit and we did our bit sort of thing. That's not helpful. Yeah. Um, so, again, that's sort of about building the right sort of culture. But I think that what I try and do is to encourage people to look at the behavioural side of things and to get people to engage with it. Because if you can learn from it that, you know, this particular group of people have one mindset, this other group have another mindset and it was those sort of things that caused the friction you can then while you're doing this training you can have those conversations in slow time when the adrenaline's not flowing then you can sort out well actually if we were in this situation we would pay a ransom we wouldn't pay a ransom you know those sorts of questions because the last thing you need when you're in that situation is to be having difficult conversations if you already know the answers to the obvious things 
having those conversations in the safe time will build up those relationships so they're a bit more strong when they're actually tested in a real real life event interesting and how much does resilience play a part in this as a as a as a as a skill i I guess is that is that a a big thing resilience in these types of scenarios does it tie into the cognitive agility component uh, resilience is is massive buzzwords at the minute. You see it all over LinkedIn. Everybody's talking. Yeah, about that's why I said it. I was trying to impress yeah. you, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, resilience schools and all that sort of thing. And resilience is made up of lots of different things. So, um, in cybersecurity, you've got resilient technology, um, yeah. people, and processes. So those three things are capability. And yeah. the focus in cybersecurity very much is on processes and technology. We forget about the people side of things. Yeah. Um, resilience, you've got to have resilient teams, the things I've just been talking about there. So mm-hmm. you've got a bonded team that even if they're very different, which is great because you need that diversity of thought, but they're more resilient because they're a high-performing team and yeah. you've built that team to be that way. And then you've got individual resilience. And the last piece of research I was looking at suggested, I think it was Robertson Cooper, and they suggest that they're sort of you, you're more resilient if you're part of a team because you've got that social support, so you're not on your own. Yeah. Um, if you've got the mindset whereby you can look at things that go wrong in a positive light, see what you can learn from them. Um, <laughs> so the Robertson-Cooper model of resilience um, is structured around four different key components of resilience. So you've got social support, which is being part of a team and knowing that you're not going to deal with it on your own. Yeah. Um, confidence. So the confidence to know that actually you can deal with this sort of thing. Um, adaptability to learn from your mistakes and to use that learning in you know, other situations. And again, I think that's very much linked to confidence. Yeah, um, and then also a purposefulness. So it, it, it's really about understanding where you are in your learning journey. So you, you kind of, there's some sense of purpose that you've got everything that you're trying to learn okay makes sense yeah yeah absolutely um it is genuinely really interesting stuff one of the things that um that i'm i'm keen to to learn a little bit more about i think the audience will be as well is when it comes to to the recruitment or the the selection of individuals that you choose um, to have within your organisation, especially when it comes to to cyber security, um, I, I assume is it is it something that we need to recruit based on certification levels of experience, those sorts of things. What what's your what's your take on on the selection and the recruitment? Yeah, part? Um, that's a really good question because again, that's a massive hot topic in cyber security at the moment. Yeah, um, because I think there's recognition uh, that having experience is one thing, so having certifications is another thing. But just because you've got a certificate doesn't make you good at your job. It's yeah. a tick box thing again, isn't it, really? Of course. So there's a move now towards, particularly on the technical side of things, towards aptitude. So if you right. use the wrong yeah, yeah. of aptitude and mindset, that you're um, curious, open-minded, you enjoy a challenge, you know, you're quite tenacious. Yeah. And you've got an interest in cybersecurity. You can be trained because you've got all of those key aptitudes. So I think there's quite a gap in the market really in terms of assessment for starting to build those sort of aptitude tests. They're interesting, yeah. Um, and I certainly know that government departments are very interested in that sort of thing and making some strides in that direction. 
But I think that it's it's quite a good time for anybody involved in assessment really to sort of do that research and find out what it is about. And the other thing that I found is I think is a gap is competency frameworks. So frameworks that deal with different things that you can do with the technical person in cybersecurity. That yes. very I haven't been able to find a single framework that deals with the the more competency side, the soft skill side, and, and that people don't like using the word soft skills. Yeah, yeah. But those, you know, the leadership, um, the cognitive agility, the relationship skills, the decision making, problem solving, all of that sort of thing. I haven't found a single competency framework that sits within cybersecurity for that. Yeah. And that's yeah. driving me absolutely nuts. I think there's certain yeah. things you can transfer across. But nobody has seemed to have come up with a particular one for cybersecurity. Yeah, yeah. And the ISO that I mentioned, I think, is the only thing that I've seen that goes somewhere towards that. And it's yes. more of a framework of skills. It's not a competency framework. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot that psychology has to offer. Yeah. So, so new, new competency frameworks, potentially new ways of assessing people for these particular roles, because it's such a big thing. Yeah. yeah. At the minute, but you know, in, in general, you know, it's ubiquitous. This this whole kind of um, notion of cyber security and, and the importance of it is, is massive so if we can't select and assess and recruit yeah. against it then there's a problem isn't there so yeah. yes so there's yeah. some really interesting things there but um but but beck i mean I've, I've really really enjoyed this this conversation i can't believe we've been talking for, for so long already i'm um really keen for you to um if any of the audience is is interested in in having a further discussion with you about any of the aspects of, of, of what we talked about um, are you happy for us to put your your LinkedIn profile in in the post? Is there is there a um, is there a website that people should be looking at? Uh, I'll definitely go to my LinkedIn profile. My website is very much work in progress. So. Okay, <laughs> like all websites, Beck. Yeah, well, it's it's not even work in progress. It just exists. So let's uh, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, but yeah, certainly put my LinkedIn profile on because I think there's um, there's a whole bunch oh, of stuff that there's plenty of space for psychology. And psychologists in cybersecurity, and it'd be nice to see a few more of us around. Absolutely, brilliant. Well, really appreciate your time, Beck. Thanks ever so much. Yeah, you're more than welcome. It's been great chatting. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Psych for Business. For show notes, resources, and more, visit evolveassess.com. Bye.